0: This is Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast about how the world was, is, and will be ordered. With Election Day only about two weeks away, our next two episodes are going to focus on different key aspects of resiliency and democracy. Today, we're looking at the role of media in preserving the truth at a time when both foreign and domestic-born disinformation and misinformation are rampant. To take on this important topic, we're handing the host seat over to Rachel Dean Wilson with GMF's Alliance for Securing Democracy. Rachel's joined by our guest this week, CBS News Political Director Caitlin Conant and CBS's Deputy Director of Surveys Jennifer DePinto to discuss how one of the U.S.'s most prominent broadcast networks is navigating an increasingly complex information environment, how it's used the lessons of 2016 to prepare for covering the potential curveballs of election night 2020, and the role of the media in preserving the integrity of the vote and getting the story right. Here's Rachel.
1: Caitlin and Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, so I we're 19 days out. I'm going to take that as a sign that you're both giving us some time, uh, that you take these issues incredibly seriously, and uh, we're all thankful for that. So I'll start us off with kind of a big picture question. As of right now, we have almost weekly warnings from the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security of foreign interference. We have individuals from the president on down that are calling into question the integrity of our voting systems all of this is exacerbated by a global pandemic, which has necessitated changes to, to the way we vote. And in turn, this makes trust in the media and a responsible media that much more important. So how are you viewing CBS's role in all of this in, in strengthening our democracy and our, our elections? And does that conflict with chasing a story? Uh, well, no pressure, right? <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> obviously, this Yeah, is- I just
1: wanted to throw the kitchen
3: sink yeah. right? in. <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, there's lots of heavy issues we're dealing with as a nation right now. And I think CBS News and I'm comforted that most of the media organizations that I've spoken to and counterparts there are all taking our responsibility very seriously, as we should be, in providing context when there is misinformation— to I think what my the political unit and, and the polling unit are particularly focused on is the how of voting and how that has changed during the pandemic and what that might mean for our voting process and what it means to just your average voter who's wondering how they make sure their vote counts. And so we have invested a ton of time and resources into telling that story. And it's across all platforms. I think it's... We do it on the broadcast, on our morning show, on evening news, on our Sunday public affairs show, Face the Nation, but it's also on Twitter. It is on .com. It, we have a daily newsletter called Trail Markers where we focus every day. I have reporters who've been focused on the battleground states basically since April who have nuggets of information on just the daily changes or potential litigation um, in voting We created a whole database um, called States and Dates where you look up your state and you can ask, does my boat get processed ahead of time? Will it be mailed to me? Do I have to apply? Do I have to sign my name? Um, All of those questions. And I think big picture, as you said, it's our responsibility to just with simple civics, remind the public And inform them about how to—not only how to vote, but also that they might need some patience this cycle, Um, which I don't have a lot of patience. I think a lot of people don't have a lot of patience these days. And, you know, there might be a case where we don't know the results. Um, We could. think we could know the results on election night. We could not know for a week. Um, Might be longer Uh, And there's that doesn't mean anything bad happened. And I think that is what we constantly are trying to remind people. And we assigned our chief Washington correspondent, Major Garrett, to lead up these efforts. He's been doing a ton of sourcing with secretaries of state and has done stories on, you know, particular counties, issues they're facing um, or expect to see this fall as they head into the election on early voting, poll worker shortages so just kind of flooding
1: the zone um, so that no
3: one is surprised if this does go long.
1: That all makes sense. Jennifer, from a polling and surveys perspective, what's your approach to this election?
2: Well, one of the things we're doing is keeping a focus on the states. It is a state-by-state election, as we saw in 2016. There was a lot of focus on national polling, and where that can tell you a lot of things about what's on voters' minds and the mood of the country, the election is decided state by state. So we've been doing comprehensive polling across all the states. We started doing this in the summer, and we've been doing it since then. We also keep an electoral vote estimate, which you can see on our website, so that the public can see that this is how we're tracking the election rather than what the top line of a national poll might say. So that's really what we've been doing uh, this year. And we've been doing more of it, more states than uh, we had done uh, four years ago.
1: And is that in part a response to 2016 when so many people got so much wrong, both in polling, but also just in pundits and understanding where the country was around that election?
2: I would say with regard to the polling in 2016, the national polls generally were right and on target, but it's not necessarily measuring the thing that people need to know. And I think that's kind of what put the focus on the states. Also, polling closer and closer to the election to keep going with the polling, as we saw in 2016, a lot of what happened was that some undecided and kind of uncommitted uh, voters went to Donald Trump late in the game. And that's something that could be missed in battleground states if you're not polling often or closer to Election Day.
3: And Rachel, can I piggyback off that for a second? Yeah. Jen brings up a great point with the state focus. And I think a lesson all media learned uh, in 2016 is that we just need to listen to people more. And I'll be honest, one of my biggest fears from a coverage standpoint at the beginning of coronavirus was that my team, who they're 10 campaign reporters who had been covering um, the candidates on the trail, uh, they basically got sent home to many of them had given up their apartments because <laughs> t- they were on the road so much and they moved in with mom and dad <laughs> and were covering states remotely from their parents' living, living rooms. And right. to me, that I was so worried about potentially missing talking to voters, missing those opportunities to get out of your bubble and have someone spark something that you just hadn't really thought about because of groupthink, conventional wisdom, being on the coast, whatever you want to call it. And so we invested pretty much in April when this all went down. I said, you guys are focused on battleground states, and as part of that— Your job is not only to source up like you would with the state parties and the mayors and local officials. You also need to become experts in all the potential legal issues in these states to address the how of voting. But then we also started a project called the COVID Chronicles, which was our way of talking to voters about how all of this was changing their lives and if it potentially could impact their vote. So we would talk to people in the natural resources industry in Pennsylvania and New Mexico one week and then go back to them a few months later to see what had changed because that is a priority and it it was a big worry of mine. And now they're back on the road and things are, you know, have resumed. Um, They're not totally normal and we have safety precautions like everyone does. But um, that's how
1: we went about that
3: and um, trying to adjust and be flexible, just like everybody has had to.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and the point you bring up, too, I mean, you've had to adjust on the newsroom level. Election officials have had to adjust on a massive scale. And so uh, the the information you're talking about that's down to, you know, the, how can I vote in my neighborhood and what are, how how does that vote get processed and everything is crucially important right now in building up that voter confidence Um, So that's, that's great to hear. Uh, I don't want to harp on 2016, this entire discussion, but I do want to ask, you know, there were across the board uh, kind of failures on, from the government, from the media. This is not just a media, you know, pick on the media thing, but, and from campaigns and candidates. But um, in 2016, where we had Disinformation included in stories without checking to see who, you know, if the person on Twitter was a real person. Or we had um, reporters reporting on the hack and leaks from the Clinton campaign and the DNC without appropriate context and asking who, how they get this information, who's behind it and why. Um, So what do you think, what were the lessons that you learned in 2016 that you brought to 2020?
3: Well, I think misinformation is something that just like everything we do, we have to provide a lot of context to what is actually happening, what matters, make sure that we have proper vetting in place. Um, Many ways, ethics uh, at our company will get involved if it's something that there are questions about. But I also think it's not just foreign interference. It's, you know, it is actors who are trying to change public sentiment. And that's Hard. (laughs) Um, It's hard to get at. And I think because people choose their own news and you see what people are targeting at you, in some ways, just the pure scope of it is a lot to handle for media organizations and for the public. So I think being eyes wide open about it is just something that we take really seriously at CBS. We have a correspondent full-time, Jeff Pegues, who I should know his official title. I think it's chief justice correspondent and Homeland Security. But he is dedicated to this full-time through the election. And so we have placed a priority on it this season.
1: And you did, you referenced Choose Your News a little bit. You know where we have uh, you can go to one cable channel and see one political viewpoint, and then switch over and see the other. Uh, I did that yesterday morning, and although it's it's kind of cliche at this point, uh, it was two different worlds that I was I was hearing about. And so, what impact does that have on a news organization like CBS that strives to be very much down the middle, straight news operating in that environment?
3: I'll take this one. Um, I think that. Again, context is something that we take a lot of pride in and making sure that people understand the why, Um, not just what's happening, but why you should care, why it matters, why it might affect your life. But I also, I mean, the, the reality is if someone wants to only watch something that reinforces their view or follow people who agree with them on either side of the aisle, there are just way more options out there. And I think, you know, I can't answer that, (laughs) how to solve
1: it. Right, that's not on you. That's a personal decision.
3: Exactly. I think it's individual behavior. But going back to that listening, I think it's just always good to know where the other side is coming from and to listen and have conversations. And that's why in our coverage at CBS, we try to diversify who we're hearing from what stories we're telling, um, making sure that we are getting out of the coasts and into the heartland. So that's how we try to approach it um, and just be down the middle and, and make sure that we are incorporating as many voices and viewpoints into our coverage as we can.
2: And if I could chime in on the polling, and we try to show that in our polling as well, looking at different demographic groups, uh, looking at things by partisanship to show that perhaps the president's supporters are strongly behind him. And why? Because they like him, because, you know, he's been good on the economy or whatever reason so that we can give a full picture not just the top line result, we can give a full picture as to what's happening,
1: Jennifer, I'm curious if there's been what's kind of been the most surprising survey or poll you've done so far this cycle, little off topic, but i but I am just curious um that that you know th- you think speaks to a broader trend or uh, maybe a trend in a, s- a swing state that might
2: not be such a swing state. I think the most surprising has been how i mean it's the coronavirus and how it has just i mean impacted everything and how people are voting what they want to see in a candidate and so it's not i mean the coronavirus itself was surprising which led this these results to be surprising We definitely see differences on how people view it. There's some partisanship involved there in terms of who's more concerned about it. It affects not only who you're voting for, but how you're voting this year. We find that people who are more concerned about the virus are more likely to vote by mail than people who are not. Uh, And this will impact the elections and how results are displayed on election night. So that's kind of one of the, the thing that we didn't see coming obviously, early this year.
1: And I'm curious, what is the game plan for election night? There are honestly, we talked with the ASD team about potential scenarios in election security and disinformation and all the realms that we we cover. And uh, we could have talked for five hours about different scenarios that could take place on on election night. So how, from a newsroom perspective and from a polling perspective, are you approaching that both with responsibility in mind, but also with reporting the news? Well, I can
3: start kind of big picture and then maybe Jen can do the nuts and bolts of the decision desk. But I think it's our job to tell the narrative of what is happening that night. And it's based on what we know. And again, going back to having reporters who've been covering this and will be experts in the state and will have correspondents in the states to tell us what's happening in real time so that if there are our long lines um, in a certain precinct. Or, you know, we're hearing that there's an issue with the voting machine. We have people who are there to report that out and help the people who are actually at the desk and on set that night contextualize what's what's real and what's not. So we will have teams of correspondents in key battleground states We'll have our experts on both candidates um, who will be involved, obviously, on the Trump and Biden campaigns to help us sort through any spin that we can always expect. One thing that hasn't changed. (laughs) You can always
1: depend on the political spin.
3: Yeah. Um, And Major Garrett will be there to cover any voting integrity issues, as he's been doing throughout. And Jeff Pegues on misinformation. Um, And I think, you know, the one thing I go back to in this weird year that I think we can all um, appreciate is we've got to be flexible (laughs) and roll with the punches. And I think that's the main takeaway I have. It's like we've got to plan for everything and then trust that we have put the right people in the right places who have done their homework to be able to help tell the story and tell voters what is happening that night or beyond.
1: It is pretty remarkable that things that we used to believe were non-negotiable, they had to happen in a presidential election year, like three presidential debates. That's just anything's up for grabs this season. Uh, and so I think you're being flexible and being able to adapt to that is is exactly right.
2: Jennifer, did you want to add on? Sure. From... Um... The CBS News decision desk is where we will have a group of analysts who will look at the data on election night and project races in each state. The things that we won't do is characterize a race or anything before all the polls close in a state. We are It's our responsibility to do that. Uh, and we will be transparent. When, when the polls uh, in a state have closed, and we want to know what's the status of this race, we'll know, you know, and as the vote comes in, we'll be able to show where vote is coming in and where it is not, and perhaps why we can make a project projection and explain that. And when we can't, explain why. Uh, as Caitlin referred to uh, long lines and perhaps that, you know, delays vote coming in, we will be transparent about that because we feel that's really important to get across to the viewers, uh, particularly if the race may not be, if the winner may not be known that evening.
1: And it feels like we've all had to become a little more technical this year uh, than we have in the past. I I think viewers and I've taken for granted exactly how races, you know, how are races called and the nitty gritty of that. So the transparency and understanding is going to be important in a crazy election season like this. So, um, one question I have for you two um, Do you have advice? for election officials or campaigns and how they communicate on election night. Um, I think we saw in in the Iowa caucuses that a communication void was not a great thing for the media, but if you had, you know, if you could send out some tips, what, what would be most helpful as you do your best to report responsibly on election night and beyond?
3: Hmm. That's a tough question, Rachel. <laughs> No, I just think it goes back to transparency. And as long as people are being transparent and communicating, that is helpful to everybody. You know, I look back on the Iowa caucuses, which feels like a decade ago. (laughs) Um, But again, back to having reporters who had been in states, we had two I will give a shout out to right now, my team, Musadiq Badar and Adam Brewster, who had lived in Iowa for, I think, nine months. They'd been there in June. So basically, in that absence of information they really shone at, were able to shine at our network because they had every precinct chair on speed dial from living there for nine months. And they were getting us real-time information by calling their sources. And that's something that I always, as their boss, knew they were doing um, and why they'd been sent there. But there are very few opportunities for that to really be on full display for the entire network in a crisis moment. And so I think that's why, you know, you've got to prepare for all options. And I think in the absence of having clear information, you've got to make sure that you are sourced up and we can control what we can control. That's why we've made such a priority on battleground state coverage.
1: Yeah, they're really proving proving their worth as far as being on the ground and doing that reporter shoe leather work. So that's...
2: And that helps the decision desk too, in that, you know, we can see the data coming in, but if we know we have reporters with sources on the ground that can give us information to add to what we know, that's helpful.
3: Yeah. And this year, just thinking of differences, you know, I dedicated a campaign reporter, one of our embeds, full time to just voting integrity. And she works completely on that with Major Garrett, which that has obviously not happened in the past. Um, So I do think we've all had to make adjustments just based on the realities we're living with right now. So, yeah, those are all things that we'll be relying on on election night.
1: Absolutely. Um, Well, it sounds like you're very, you got the team in place. You're ready to go for election night. Is there anything that you, well, I would hope that if you're thinking about it already, you are, you have a game plan. Um, But any other message that you would want to get to folks, particularly we have a, we, the German Marshall Fund is a transatlantic uh, think tank, and we do have some listeners uh, in the European side. So with all of this chaos kind of in the year of 2020 and in this presidential election, any kind of parting thoughts uh, that you want to leave viewers with or, or our audience here on the other side of the Atlantic?
3: I think for me, for a global audience, I'm just comfort- comforted at least that, you know, all of the the... The media seems to be taking this responsibility very seriously, and I know that other organizations are doing all the same thoughts and calculations we are about the need for transparency um, obviously we're competitive <laughs> um but we we all want to be right as opposed to being first, and I think that's a really good thing, and I take comfort in democracy just knowing that
1: yeah i I do take that point wanting to be right does seem to be taking. The lead over being first across the board at most major news outlets. And that is leaps and bounds ahead of, of where we were in 2016. Jennifer, did you have something?
2: Yeah, just wanted to say, and again, just a reminder to the global audience that it is a state by state election. And that's where our coverage will be focused heading into the election. By election day, CBS News would have interviewed more than 100,000 voters in all 50 states. And on election night, we'll be focused on what's happening in those races. We will give the big picture as to what voters across the country are thinking. But it's a race to 270 electoral votes. And that's what we'll be looking at.
1: I don't think any of us could have predicted where this election cycle would lead. And I don't envy you two, uh, the challenges ahead, but I'm glad that you're in the positions you are. So thanks so much for for joining us. Thanks for having us, Rachel. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant, Rachel Tausenfreund, and me, Sydney Simon.